When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Recapping Georgia. Looking forward to Florida. BK, I'm having some weird thoughts. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Are you having weird thoughts because you're optimistic? I don't know what I don't know what it is. I'm so unfamiliar with this feeling of hope and happiness and a chance for my team to win. I just what am I supposed to do with my hands, BK? In the words of one of my favorite movies of all time, Nate, hope is a good thing, and maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Just a poet. Just beautiful. Beautiful words. Let's uh, let's quash that immediately and talk about Georgia. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I did hope, the- hope was all we got in that one, big boy. I mean, look, <laughs> there's, there are worse things than hope, and that's what I called the piece. I said hope, and I threw a question mark on the end but like seriously I, I said it on uh sunday on our recap show and i'm still saying it now missouri did not play all that differently than what it had played all year and yet it took number one to the limit it, it georgia did not score a touchdown to the fourth quarter georgia did not lead until four minutes left in the game and missouri did nothing but play the same game that they've played all year it's just that style of play it's exactly what we see at Texas A&M. That style of play lets lesser teams hang with you, but it also helps you hang with better teams. And it took Georgia a little bit to get rolling for whatever reason, uh, but Missouri was able to parlay that into a, a double-digit lead for most of the game. They ran out of gas towards the end, but man, I just 
now that we know that they're just going to slop it up all year and they might win a few that they shouldn't, they might lose a few that they shouldn't like now, now everything's on the table. BK is that, is that a crazy thought? Yeah. Cause they're not going to beat Tennessee. Like going to Tennessee, that one very much still off the table in my mind. But other than that, yeah, I think you're right. Like we'll get into what it means for Florida here in just a little bit. But I think that's a really interesting game. Vandy should still be a win, but it could be ugly. It might not be what any what a lot of people are expecting. South Carolina, I don't think is very good. I think that was always on the table, but now maybe even more so. And then you look at Kentucky. I think that they should still beat Mizzou. I think that they should still be a double-digit favorite or so against Mizzou, but it's at home, so you're eligible to win, which is nice. And they kind of play a slop-it-out slop style game as well, and they're a team that's going to rely on the run, so it could keep you in it. And then Arkansas is kind of similar. They are not the team that a lot of people expected them to be coming into the season. I think that my projection was closer to what they kind of are right now, but they're still good. And defensively, they're quite good. So you're going to be an underdog in most of your remaining games, but this style and your ability to keep games close as they have shown, especially the last couple of weeks against Auburn and really last week against Georgia. Yeah, it makes things interesting down the stretch. And if you're a Mizzou fan, I think that's kind of what we were hoping for this year is you stay competitive. You make these games interesting against a higher quality of opponent or what nationally people view as being a higher quality of opponent and you see where the chips fall. And that's kind of what it's been. I mean, this all gets thrown out the window if Missouri proceeds to lose every game by like double digits. 100%. But like, you know, yep. the potential is there. And, and and that's something that we just didn't feel like we had, especially after week two. Another thing that I want to at least call attention to or talking about potential is I think the beat writers talked about it. The team has certainly been talking about it today. That atmosphere on, on Saturday night was tra- was was tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Now, Desiree Reed-Francois and her athletic department team get a lot of credit for putting a lot of effort into making game day better, making the experience better, doing new things, keeping the people interested. You know, you got to be at the game to see it, but like they're, they're putting effort into doing that, and they're putting effort to get people into the stadium. And Mizzou fans, to their credit, showed out. You know, it was like 50, 58,000, I think is what it was. Um, and, and a lot of that was, it was not just Georgia fans. those was a lot of Missouri fans, too. And Tyler Stevens talked about it. Uh, Cody Schrader talked about it. Armand Mimbu talked about it. They like this. Was, it was a tremendous environment to play football. And Missouri's not good. And the fans showed up. Like, that can be the difference. You can give these guys hope. You can make them feel energized and feel motivated, even if they've only won two games. And so I know it's Georgia is a little bit different than, you know, Abilene Christian. So, okay, fine. If, if it's an FCS or a terrible G5, fine. Knock yourself out. Don't go. If you can create that SEC experience for SEC games, whether the team is good or not, that that's all we're talking about. And the fans, and especially the students, did a tremendous job on Saturday. Absolutely. They deserve a ton of credit. Uh, it's not going to be that way against Vandy because, let's be honest, people don't want to see Mizzou play Vandy. Uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just going to be the case. Same thing against New Mexico State for sure, even more so than against Vandy. I, actually, I take that back against Vandy. If Mizzou beats Florida, I think that'll be a pretty cool environment. Um, so maybe there is some hope there, but Kentucky should be awesome. Arkansas, I I don't know what to expect because of it being Thanksgiving weekend, but it being on a Friday typically makes for a cooler environment, but that Kentucky game, especially if Mizzou goes like three and O over the next three weeks, man, that could be every bit as fun, if not even cooler than what you saw against Georgia. So 
Perot, when it's rocking, is actually a really good environment. Mm -hmm. The problem is it just doesn't have a lot of opportunities lately to get rocking because you don't have what we saw, which was kind of the perfect mix of events on Saturday where you went on the road, you played a pretty good game and had a real chance to upset a team on the road. And then you come home and play against the number one team in the country where a lot of people just said probably before the season, I want to see Mizzou play Georgia. I want to see Georgia play in person. This is my opportunity to do so. I'm going to go watch that game. And so you get 55, 60,000 people in the stands. It ends up being a really interesting game early. Missouri gets ahead early. People start feeling the buzz of, oh my God, is this really going to happen? And then it just becomes a raucous environment. And oh, by the way, all of it happened while it's under the lights. And that's a huge element to everything that I just mentioned is this game was played at 630. And when the games are at night, the fans are a little looser and it becomes a little bit better of an environment. So credit to the fans, credit to the administration for, like you said, making the game day experience more fun. I have heard from a number of people that were at that game that it was the most fun that they've had at a Mizzou football game since Mizzou clinched the SEC East in 2014. That is a long time. Um, you, you want to make it quicker between those stretches of really cool environments, but it was also a unique environment where you were able to potentially beat the number one team in the country. So I get it. Yeah. And hey, Georgia played terribly. Missouri played very well, and it was close towards the end. You know, I when I when I do my beyond the box score, I'm always uh, there are things where I have concepts where I think I know what the answer is, and then I'm surprised uh, at, at what the number actually ends up being. And most of that ends up along the advanced stats category. Then there are just standard stats that surprise the heck out of me, such as Missouri ran 53 plays and Georgia ran 79. I can't think of the last time an opponent ran 26 more plays than Missouri did. Uh, but that, you know, that's, that's a really odd quirk of the game. Now, part of that was that Georgia was able to string together some, some drives, especially towards the end and Missouri was going three and out towards the end, but still that's, that's a huge discrepancy and it still speaks volumes to the defense because they did not let them move. <laughs> like they didn't mm -hmm. let them really get far down the field as the game wore on. There were more explosive plays, but for the most part, it was incompletes or, you know, zero yard rush or one yard rush. And, you know, the defense can only do so much, but uh, you know, it, it was, it was incredible to see. And the, the success rates by quarter, my God, Georgia opened the first quarter with an 18% success rate. Uh, it was the exact inverse of what we're used to with Blake Baker's defense as Georgia actually got stronger as the game went on. Uh, but not only did they run more plays, but they, their efficiency dropped in scoring position. They had a 30% success rate once they crossed the 40-yard line. Now, keep in mind, we're talking like Georgia had a 68% success rate in the fourth quarter, 50 in the third, 44 in the second. Missouri's defense got strong, bowed up when they needed to, forced field goals, and that's why this game was close. If they, Missouri had any competent offense at all, uh, this could have been a win or a, a tie at regulation or whatever, but... Uh, even with with a tilted the tilted odds, more plays, more yards, more possessions, everything going against them, this team, this defense held the number one team in check for 56 minutes, and it just you you knew what happened, and then you see the advanced stats, and it just kind of takes your breath away. Yeah, on their first nine drives, Georgia's first nine drives, half of them are as follows: eight plays, 52 yards, ends in a field goal; 11 plays, 54 yards, end of half. 
16 plays, 66 yards, ends in a field goal. Six plays, 64 yards, ends in a field goal. That, that's what you're talking about there. Like Missouri's ability to bow up when it matters most on those scoring opportunities for Georgia. That's what you have to do when you're going up against teams that are, let's be honest, just flat out better than Mizzou. It's okay if you give up some yards, but Mizzou is trying to do what, if you're an NFL fan, you've seen a lot of teams do in the NFL as well, which is, all right, we are going to try to create some havoc. If you're going to get a couple of big plays, so be it. But once you get into like the red zone or the scoring zone, if you will, uh, we're, we're going to tighten up and we're going to make it really hard for you to string together three or four consecutive plays where they are successful, put you in bad situations. We've got really excellent third down packages now. Mizzou's blitzing packages on third downs are really impressive. Blake Baker's awesome. I've enjoyed watching his defense so far this year. And that's a recipe that works, man. In a lot of ways, it's so funny because how cyclical this has been. Missouri's defense this year is kind of similar to what Barry Odom's defense when he first got to Mizzou was. <laughs> like they, they do it a little differently, mm -hmm. but it's basically, hey, we're going to create a bleep ton of havoc, and you might come up with a few big plays against us, but if you get to third down, good luck. Because our defense, the packages that we've got, the places that guys are going to be coming from, you're just going to have no idea what's coming your way. That was Barry Odom's MO back in the day before he became head coach, and now it's Blake Baker's MO. On the flip side, Missouri's offense. It was bad. We all knew it, but we all knew that going in because Missouri is just understaffed right now, and Georgia's one of the best defenses in the country. Missouri had six explosive plays, and that's a run of more than 12 yards or a pass of more than 16 yards. They had six of those plays. Two were passes to Dominic Lovett. Two were runs by Cody Schrader. Uh, and then there's a 46-yard pass to uh, Mookie Cooper and a 28-yard run from Nate Pete. BK, if you add up those six plays, you get a total of 213 yards, which oh, represents 73.5% of the total offensive output on the night. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Which means... How oh, many plays did you say, Missouri? So they ran, ran 53, which means the other 47 gained 77 yards total. Oh, so... Um, they also went three for 13 on, on third down. Mm -hmm. They only ran the ball once on third down. And that was Brady cook scrambling when he dropped back to pass. Uh, but that the main reason that happened is that their average third down distance to go was 10.4 yards. So, you know, I'm not saying anything that we have to really further discuss. It's just more of a putting a number to what we already saw. Cause the offense was out, man. If they couldn't hit a big one, they really just didn't have a shot. 
So I have actually seen a little bit of discourse on some of this this week. Uh, and I, I think it was Gabe DeArmond who tweeted out the numbers on Brady Cook deep passing so far this year. This was something that came under a lot of scrutiny earlier in the season, Nate, as we both know. But it's kind of gone away recently, and there's a reason for that. It's because Missouri has actually been throwing downfield quite a bit more often, or at least by the numbers, Brady Cook this year, 28 of 168 passes attempted, have gone at least 20 or more yards down the field. That is 16% of his pass attempts, which is third in the SEC this season. Here's my question to you, Nate. Mm -hmm. When you hear something like that, and you see what Missouri did on Saturday against Georgia, which is the best defense that Mizzou is going to be seeing this year, but they have some really good ones coming up as well. This is more indicative of what Missouri is going to see the rest of the season than like an Abilene Christian was or what they saw against Louisiana Tech. So here's my question to you. Does that tell you that Missouri needs to be passing down the field less (laughs) or does it tell you that because of what we saw on Saturday, where the only thing that really mattered was that they got explosive plays, is that Missouri's actually going about this kind of the right way, and they should be throwing downfields a decent amount, because when they do, they give themselves the best chance, especially against these quality opponents, to be able to move the ball with explosive as as opposed to trying to put together 10, 12, 14 play drives that results in scoring touchdowns. Look, I I am always 100% deep ball. Like, that is... Give me four verts. That's my favorite offensive play to call up. Just have four of your right wide receivers run fast down the field and hit one of them. That's I love that stuff. Um, I know that Eli Drinkwitz's offense is not predicated on the deep ball. I know it's predicated on a lot of similar looks and building off of it, and you know a lot of short passes and screens where the the athletes at the wide receiver position can take it downfield, make a couple jukes, take it downfield. Like that's what it's based off of buddy, we don't have the offensive line to do that. <laughs> like we don't have the, they're not going to consistently open up holes for the running back. We don't have the type of running back who can, can create like Tyler Beatty and Larry Roundtree used to not yet anyway. And you got some freak athletes at wide receiver who are super fast. So yes, I think if you are going to fully embrace the, 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 the style of offense, which is we're not really going to be able to do it unless it's big, Throw it deep. <laughs> I know Brady Cook isn't the most accurate when he does that, but Dominic Lovett's really good at tracking that stuff down, and he's really good at shaking his man free. And if that means that he gets double cover, then that opens up Luther or Mookie or Toski. And, and just, yes, the, the short answer is yes. They should throw the ball downfield more, even if they're not good at it. What do you think? I'm with you. Um, the other thing is, like, I don't have the exact number. I, I'll try to look it up while we're doing this show to see if I can find it, but man, there are so many plays that you just throw it up and you find a way to get a pass interference call. Like That, that comes from this as well. And so the, the number of things that can happen on these situations that are good so far outweigh the potential negatives. It's not as if he's getting picked a lot and when he's going deep. If that was happening and he just had no idea where the ball was going and he's throwing it into cover two, like early Drew Locke, for example, had no (laughs) idea how to read a a cover two. No clue. Didn't know where it was going, like did not know how to go about it. And so you would just see these moments where he's trying to throw the ball deep and he ended up getting a lot better at this, but he he couldn't find the keyhole, the honey hole. And he would just end up throwing it right to a safety that's starting his drop. That's not really happening right now with Brady Cook. So until that does, yeah, I think you keep throwing it deep. That being said, 
the guy who is connecting most often on those deep balls is Dominic Lovett. If he's out on Saturday against Florida, I do think that changes at least to a degree the way that I would be attacking deep down the field. Because sure. uh, Luther Burden's really the only other guy that I trust in those scenarios. Mookie is getting better, but he's not quite there yet. Um, he's more intermediate for me, he but he's definitely yeah. better than he was last year where everything was at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. He's starting to get more down the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Past two, past couple games, he's really kind of come out of his shell a little bit, which is, which is great to mm-hmm. see. But no, Dom, Dom Lovett is your, is your primary read on that. And, and if he is injured and, and that is the news, kind of the really big news item was, is that he's 50, 50 for Florida right now. At least that's from Drinkwitz himself. Uh, lower leg, they are working things out. They, they're seeing how he was going to practice today, and that was going to determine the decision if he plays on Saturday. So we will, we're we not going to find out until Saturday. But, yeah, I mean, he is, he's got the, what, the most receiving yards in the SEC or whatever. Um, he he is clearly Missouri's best player by far as from production and athletic standpoint. Not saying no one else can stand up, uh, step up, but he he's he's proven it over the over this time frame, and and Brady Cook looks to him for the deep ball. So, yeah, it all kind of depends on that. Other than that, you just kind of do what you did in the second half against Georgia and hope that Mookie or or Toski can come down with a couple of those, and then just intersperse some terrible running plays that go nowhere and hope that one of those breaks off too. I mean, this it's a very simplistic offense. It always has been. And, you know, first two years, it was handed off to Larry or handed off to Tyler. And now it's go find Dom deep. At some point, we're going to have the players to to run the the complex offense to drink what's, but it's not here yet. So you just, you need to adapt and you need to do what's going to be best. And that if that's, you know, pulling a Matty, Matty Mock and just go deep, like, let's do it. I'm on board. Yeah, it, that's kind of where I'm at. And on the season, just for what it's worth on passes that are at least 10 yards down the field, um, Brady Cook this year has only one touchdown, but also only one interception. Mm-hmm. And until those numbers start to be in favor of the interceptions, where it's like one touchdown, four interceptions, five interceptions, something like that, it, it's worth it to me uh, to continue attacking. Especially, strangely, he has like a a block on the left side where he can't find anybody. <laughs> um, he's two for 10 on the left down the field, but he's nine for 18 going down the right sideline. Just keep throwing down the right sideline. Yeah, that, that that'll work. Just just go down there and find Dominic Lovett. He's down there somewhere. That's that's the way to go about it. I'm good with that. So we'll find out on Saturday if Dom's going to play and we'll figure out if we run four verts every single play. We are going against Florida. And I just ever since we've gotten into the SEC, I just don't have a good read on Florida uh, any year. Whether they're good or bad, whether Missouri's good or bad, I just I never know what to expect from this game. And that shows in the record too. I think Missouri's six and five against Florida since they moved to the SEC. It just who knows? It's anybody's game at any given moment. That's whether you're in the swamp or you're at Faroe. And BK, I hinted at it at the beginning, you know, I we we talked about Missouri's chances going forward for the rest of this schedule. And we're gonna we asked the the fan base uh, at rockimnation.com. Uh, this week, you know, what do you think is going to be the big upset for this year uh, that Missouri is going to be able to, to notch in their belt? And we talked a little bit about Florida or Arkansas uh, on Sunday, and that was before I really did any kind of dive on the on the Gators. And I looked mm-hmm. at their, their record, I looked at their advanced stats, and boy, wow, they stink. <laughs> this defense is so bad, and this offense, I, I said it in the piece, 
Florida is Missouri with the worst defense, which is just a crazy mm-hmm. statement to say. They are all reliant on big plays. Their defense will let you do anything except score in the red zone. So I am like out of nowhere feeling good about this game, which means you need to go and bet, you know, Florida, you know, minus a hundred. But what like I don't know, BK it's it's on the road. Eli Drinkwitz doesn't win on the road. This team isn't very good, but neither is Florida. And now I'm talking myself into a win. What am I supposed to do with this? I, I think you're exactly where you should be is you're conflicted because that's where I'm at on this game as well. I feel kind of about this game the way that I did about the Auburn game. Like, can Missouri win this game? Absolutely. Could they beat Auburn? Yeah, clearly. Obviously, they they definitely had a chance to be able to do exactly that. Like, I I don't view a whole lot of differences between those two teams do they go about it a little differently sure but neither of them really has a passing game they're both okay on the ground they both have quarterbacks that are heavily involved in their ground game and then defensively like they're both all right not very good for sec teams but they're okay you know and that's kind of how missouri is (laughs) is like missouri's pretty good defensively and they just can't get anything going offensively so The same reasons why if you were a Mizzou fan and you were optimistic against Auburn and then it came out to be that you were probably right to be optimistic in that game. That's why I'm optimistic about this game against Florida. The difference is people know who Anthony Richardson is. Sure. And they know that he was hyped up and they saw the highlights that he had Mm -hmm. against, first of all, Utah. Mm -hmm. And then again, he made a couple of plays against Tennessee. But man, he's been bad this year. Like on the season, he is not good. He so far this season has four passing touchdowns and six interceptions. And a lot of that came last week against Eastern Washington, Mm -hmm. who stinks. Mm -hmm. He had eight completions out of the 10 attempts that he had against them. And he threw for two touchdowns and one pick prior to that. In the first four games of the season, he had two passing touchdowns and five interceptions that he went up against Southern Florida in one of those games. Like I, I, I think that a lot of the hype has been unwarranted, because of some really splashy plays. So he's fun. He's intriguing as a talent. He is nowhere close to being a fully formed product right now. He's a lot closer to the guys at Auburn than what I think people were expecting him to be coming into the season. In fact, if you add up Ashford and Finley at Auburn, so far this year, they have thrown for 1,140 yards four touchdowns, and seven interceptions. So far this year, Anthony Richardson has thrown for 1,100 yards, four touchdowns, and six interceptions. He doesn't get sacked as much. That's the difference. Richardson avoids the sacks. He's a little worse in the running game than TJ Finley and Ashford are when you combine those two. That's pretty much it. Yeah. They, so the the offense, and this is part of Anthony Richardson's uh, uh, slipperiness. This the Florida offense is fourth in havoc rate allowed, eight percent so far on the year. Like they don't, there's no sacks, there's no tackles for loss. Like their, their offense doesn't go anywhere. Don't get me wrong, but like <laughs> passes deflected, no, not really. There's there are the six interceptions, but mostly nothing happens. They don't allow havoc. So this is gonna be a really good test for Blake Baker. Like it's not a super, it's not an efficient kind of offense they're not getting four five four five six four five like they it is 22 or nothing and so you know one of the helpful things you can do is is try to create some havoc and push him even further back or heck get get a couple turnovers clearly richardson is willing to do that 
on the defensive side, you can do whatever you want. Florida is 125th against the run. They're allowing a 52% success rate against the rush, a 44% success rate against the pass. That is 106th. Whether it's standard downs, whether it's passing downs, you can get whatever yardage you want. They don't really care. It's when you get, when you cross the 40, just like Missouri, nothing. The goal-to-go touchdown rate for Florida's defense right now is 71.4%. That is 59th in the country. And then their points per scoring opportunity, 3.7. 3.7 is what Missouri averaged against Georgia, and they lost by four. So this defense can't do anything well except keep you out of the end zone. And we all know Eli Drinkwitz loves to send out Harrison Mivas for a field goal at the second that he can't move the ball three yards. So... This is why I'm hesitant because Eli is going to play right into their hands. The one thing that they do well. And I feel like, I feel like we're going to watch this game and we are going to get the impression that Missouri's defense is dominating Florida. We just, we gave him a couple of plays and we're going to feel like, man, this offense has actually got it together, but the, oh, they're, they're finishing with field goals again. So it's, it's going to be both like, Oh, Hey, there's a lot of good things and you just don't get the good things when it counts. I just I anticipate this being frustrating as hell. I don't know where it ends up, but I feel better about it than I did a couple of weeks ago. I think a big part of why I'm optimistic about Missouri's game plan defensively against Richardson is because they have a guy that I believe can do a really good job of spying him. I think Tyron Hopper is going to be a huge piece of Missouri's game plan. Former Florida like, Gator. It, it, Hello. It's almost, a, yeah, revenge game as well of not getting the opportunities that he clearly deserved in that linebacking core. And I understand that Florida is good in their linebacking core. That guy, he's, he's different. Um, he should have played more than he did. But when you have him, it's almost like playing a, a box in one in basketball where he's the and one. He's going to be the guy that his entire job defensively is trying to keep contain on Anthony Richardson. And he's also a guy that's going to hold on to the football. So he he looks for those deep shots that you're talking about, Nate. If you look at the time to throw, around two and a half seconds is typically the norm for like the quick passing game guys that Mm -hmm. we've gone up or that we've seen in the SEC. So just as an example, like Brady Cook's at 2.6 on the season in terms of his time to throw. Hinden Hooker, 2.65. Uh, Stetson Bennett was at 2.48 uh, going into last week. You know what Anthony Richardson's time, average time to throw is? And this is average, so this includes some of the times when he actually is on time and is getting the ball out quickly. I have no idea. What is it? 3.15. That is absurdly long in terms of how long he typically holds onto the ball. And part of the reason why is because his average depth of target is 13 yards down the field. This dude is just a pure three-point shooter. He is constantly (laughs) going for the deep ball. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is going down the middle of the field where he attacks constantly. If you're looking for, hey, what is this guy going to do? Where is he going to be trying to attack? It's intermediate and deep center. That's where he's going. He's going to attack the middle of the field with your safeties. So Jalen Carlisle, big day for you, big boy. (laughs) We are going to need to see a big one from him. That is where they try to attack is between the numbers. So I'm really interested to see what Blake Baker's defensive game plan looks like going into this week. I think you will see less blitzing, more contain because Anthony Richardson is so difficult to bring down 
that you're just going to want to keep the contain on him and make his life difficult whenever he does try to go into that scramble mode because he's going to do it even mm-hmm. if you're not blitzing him. Yep. Again, I just have no read on this. I'm, I know um, when you... I think it's a toss up. Like I, I well, my favorite thing about this game is Missouri to cover the ten point spread. So and that that's the thing when you I think when it's gonna you be have close. I think it's going to be gross when you have one team that's over overly reliant on explosive plays. If they connect, boy, it is over quick and it's a big gap when you have two teams that rely on big plays like i don't even know what to think i know florida open as a 10 point favorite i'm looking right now as of three minutes ago it's a florida favored by 11 i would have taken missouri really? at minus 10 or at plus 10 i'm certainly going to take them at plus 11 um i i just it makes me feel like okay what do they know that i don't know do they know that Dom Lovett's not going to play? Like, I just that—that's the—that's where it gets really tough. If Dom Lovett doesn't play, how much does that change your opinion on this game? It, it certainly changes it a little bit. If you don't have that reliable deep threat, then yeah, I'm 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 feeling quite a bit different. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at as well. And it, man, it, it sucks because they have a chance to do something really cool this weekend mm-hmm. where. You go on the road, and I know that Florida's not that great. It kind of feels like that LSU game from 2020, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Where it, it's not actually a very good team, but you can get a really cool win. Yeah, and sometimes that that's all that matters. Beat the helmet. Exactly. Yeah, yeah beat, beat the laundry, right? And going down to the swamp and getting a win always feels big, no matter what the team, the quality of the team is there. It's kind of like going to Knoxville and getting a win. I went to that game in 2012. That Tennessee team stunk. They fired Derek Dooley like a few weeks later. Um, but getting a win there was really cool, and that mattered. Same thing kind of feel. It, it feels that way against Florida as well. So I hope they're able to do it. But, man, missing Dominic Lovett is such a big deal because, as you mentioned, this team is so reliant on big plays, and he is the big playmaker. He's the one that you go to for that. If he's not in there, I think you're going to be heavily reliant in this game on Nathaniel Pete, mm-hmm. Cody Schrader, mm-hmm. and you just hope that Luther Burden comes down with something big, either in the punt return game or on one of the quick screens. Yeah. So, out of curiosity, huh. do you have the numbers on their punting game? On I know that's a super weird ask, but punting game. Uh, do they have good? Do they have good uh, punt coverage so far this season? Do I? Only have... reason I ask is because that that could be where one of Missouri's explosive potentially comes from if they're not good well, in that area. assuming Luther Burden's back there and not coached to just let it bounce or just catch it on a fair sure. catch, then yeah, I would I would assume that that's kind of your opportunity there. Um, I'm looking at their special teams coverage, and it's okay. It doesn't break out punting versus kick returns or anything like that. Let me yeah. see if I got... No, I don't, I don't see anything. Uh, their punter's pretty good, but, I mean, kind of every punter's pretty good when you're Australian in the SEC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So no, I I have I I can't tell you what uh, what Missouri's chances are that, that they could make a difference. I mean, sixty first and in special teams is like basically right in the middle. Um, okay. So um, I can tell you that. Let me look at his punting inside the twenty. The guy's name is Jeremy Crawshaw, by the way, Australian. Uh, 54% of his punts end up inside the 20. The hang time is about 4.1 seconds. Average yards per punt return is 9.5. So doesn't really tell you much, <laughs> but uh, there's your opportunity. 9.5 is decent on your, on your return. It's a first down. It's one less first down yeah. you need to get. So Yeah, it's decent. 
The only thing I will say, and I said it in the piece, and I think I've said it every year, and at some point this is going to break, and that's okay. I'd, I'd prefer it to end because it stresses me out low-key. Um, since moving into the SEC, Florida won in 2012. Missouri won in 13-14. Florida won in 15-16. Missouri won in 17-18. Florida won 19-20. Missouri won in 21. It's our turn. Maybe we just leave it at that. Seriously, in that streak, it's stressing me out. <laughs> it's stressing me out so much. <sighs> Is there all. anything else like this for a Mizzou in terms of a streak that goes back and forth one way, one way or the other? Not really. Depending on the year. I mean, for for about six years. Well, right now it's South Carolina won in twelve and thirteen. Missouri won fourteen fifteen. Carolina won sixteen seventeen eighteen. Missouri won nineteen twenty twenty one. Okay, so it's South Carolina's here, so better win this one yes. to make up for it. <laughs> Fortunately, yes. Then you got Georgia, where they just be, always beat you. That's a fun streak. Um, Arkansas, where we always won until last year, until Eli Drinkwitz had to talk about the rivalry. Um, there are two team. There are three teams that Missouri has played multiple times in the SEC. Three SEC teams Missouri's played multiple times since moving to the SEC that they've never beaten. Do you know which three of those teams are? Uh, you're going to make me pull up the SEC standings to try to remind myself of who these could potentially be. You said that Missouri's never beaten, that they've played multiple three times? Three SEC teams that they have played multiple times and never beaten. There's Bama? Three. Yep, that's one. Um... They beat Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. They beat Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. They beat Arkansas. Have they beat Auburn? Auburn would be one. Mm -hmm. Did they play LSU twice? They have they played, played LSU them the twice, one, right? Yes. Mississippi State is just the one, correct? They or played twice. The they played twice. That, okay, so Mississippi State would be the other. That's the weird one. I always one. forget that other game. The, the end of the 2020 season, right? Uh, end of 20 and end of 15. Those were the two times we played yeah. them. Yep. The end of the 20 season, that, that game against Mississippi State always slips my mind. So Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State. Interesting. Alabama makes sense. <laughs> they, they make sense. <laughs> like, you're 0-3 <laughs> against Bama. That is fine. You're 0-3 against Auburn. Okay, makes sense. 0-2 against Mississippi State? What are we, Missouri basketball? Come on. Oh, come on, man. Come on. We don't need that. Big day for Mizzou basketball. Hey, Jordan Butler, welcome to the fam. Well, yeah, that's right. Come on down. Leave South Carolina. Columbia sucks. Columbia East sucks. Uh, okay. That's all I got. Any parting shots, BK? Do you have a prediction? No. We normally don't do this. No. But I don't... do you have a prediction in this game? <laughs> uh, whoever wins is going to win by double digits. That's my prediction. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. What do you think? I, I think... I'm going to be a pansy on this. So I'm writing an article. By the time that you're listening to this, it's probably up on the website. It's a, the Rock M Nation reacts piece that Nate was referencing on what's going to be Mizzou's best win down the stretch. I'm, I'm doing such a cop out right now. I'm going to predict that it is Florida. Okay. I am also going to predict Florida to be Missouri right here. Uh -huh. Um I, I think that if Missouri wins one of those four games, this is the one that they win. I hate that Dom Lovett is out. Yep. If he was playing in this game, I would tell you right now, I predict Missouri to win like 
24 to 20. With him not playing, I will predict Florida to win like 24 to 20. So I I think it really is that close. I think it's a flip going one way or the other, and it's a relatively low scoring game. Yeah. Billy Napier is a good coach. I think he's going to build something great there. Uh, So it's good to tag him early because I don't think these opportunities come around all that often. So we'll. We will see, uh, but that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio, 101 ESPN, <laughs> wearing handcuffs. And no, no, uh, 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 <laughs> nope. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. See ya.